Hey, if you are here for the first time or you're joining us for the first time in a while, we are about halfway through the book of John, and we're taking a break for the next uh, about four, five, six, seven weeks. And as, as I prayed about what we should do during this sort of uh, break that we're taking in the middle of the book... Um, God really drew me to the book of 2 Timothy, a little letter in the New Testament, and it really speaks into several topics that God has been laying on my heart for our church, things that I think are things we need to talk about, things like living in a way that builds community and influences others and disciples others for Jesus, staying faithful to Jesus in the midst of a culture that, that's moving towards not being so easy to be a Christian, um, living in light of of the fact that Jesus is coming back and we're getting closer. And then what we're going to talk about today, which is what the little letter starts with. And there's something really significant at the very first part of this letter, and that's passing on faith to the next generation. And so if you're here and you're a, you're a parent um, or you hope to be a parent someday or you're a grandparent and even if you're not, like if you're single um, or if you're a young adult, don't tune out because there's, there's some great stuff in here for, for you. We're going to get to you in just a while. But I really want you to listen up if you're a parent in the room. And here's something that I think is true about all of us as parents if you have kids. And that's when it comes to your future relationship with your kids or your grandkids, even, even if your kids are grown, I think we all hope for a couple things when it comes to our kids. I think we all hope that we would have a warmth in our relationship with our kids. There would be a relational closeness that your kids would want to come home and, and spend time with you. Now, some of you, you're like, I just want them to move out of my basement. Um, and okay, that's, that's okay. But I think we all want that relational warmth and closeness, right? And then I also think that, that as a parent, something you want is influence, that you would like to have a level of influence in the direction and the quality of your child's life, influence in them becoming who God created them to be, helping them influence them to discover what God wired them up for, right? And then helping launch them towards that. And then beyond that, that there would be a real continuing influence of your faith, of your values in the lives of your kid. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I think one of the big things you desire is that your kids, I know this is true for me, your kids would meet Jesus at a young age and love him and follow him all their lives. For me, that's a top priority. I mean, I don't really like care if my kids are rich or famous. You know, I, I hope they have some level of success in life at whatever direction they end up going. But my top priority is I want them to love Jesus. I want them to live their life for Jesus because I think that's where joy and significance and ultimately the, the only real eternal significance is found. Now, here's the tension in this. I, I'm guessing if we had a show of hands, a lot of you would, would agree that that is a top priority for you. And if you share that desire... There's something that should be somewhat concerning, very concerning to you, actually. If you have a heart for the next generation and seeing faith continue on to the next generation, um, there was a survey, they did a study a while back. It revealed that about 39% of young adults age 18 to 25 now identify when, when it comes to a survey of religious affiliation as none, i.e. No, no religious affiliation whatsoever. And these aren't, there were plenty of people on the survey that might have been like, yeah, I was raised Methodist, but I walked away, you know, never went back since I was six. 
And some of you, that's your story, actually. And you're, you're kind of coming back and you're reengaging and connecting with God and church and the Bible for the first time in decades. And we're so glad you're here. We're so glad your kids are here. But this is not like no affiliation with God or Jesus or the Bible or even other religions. That's more than three times the rate of seniors, the generation that's in, uh, in their senior years. What this means is in the last 30 to 40 years, there has been a monumental shift in faith in our nation. And today's young adults are far more likely to be none than the young adults in the previous generation. Here's what this means is, is, is if you care about some young people in your lives, um, there's a good chance left to themselves that young people and young adults, high schoolers, and there are many of your friends won't end up following or identifying with Jesus in any way. And that should be really concerning to you. See, part of the problem, like why has this happened over the last 30 or 40 years? You know, part of the problem is that the church as a whole, the Big C Church, has not done a very good job of teaching the importance of parents being intentional about passing on faith to their children just haven't done a very good job. In fact, as a whole, the church has sort of fostered this sort of trust it to the experts mentality. This has sort of been a thing in our culture where you can just drop your kids off and, you know, somebody else will do the, do the work. And so a lot of times, parents over, over the years, even if they brought their kids to church regularly, have had sort of a mentality of we'll let the, we'll let the pastors, the teachers, the youth pastors um, sort of take care of the discipleship end of things and all the conversations about God and Jesus and the Bible. And here's, here's the big issue with that kind of thinking, is that even if you get your, your kids, even if you're super consistent, like, you know, almost every week you're at church, and you get your kids to church, and then you get them to youth group midweek, it's only about one out of 168 hours out of the week. We've showed you this equation before and talked to you about this, of like... In, you know, teaching and discipleship, like one-on-one, um, intense, focused discipleship. About one hour. If you get them to church twice a week, and I, it just trends tell me that isn't really happening for a lot of people, one hour isn't enough. It's not enough at all, especially when you consider, you know, out of a week, 168 hours, hopefully your kids are sleeping. I think statistics a while back were about 49 hours. They're in school about 35 hours, and they're on electronics, <laughs> About 45 hours a week, believe it or not. We did a series on uh, technology in May. You can go back and check that out, um, helping us deal with technology in our lives. It's, it's astounding how, how much time our kids and youth and us, if we're honest, right, spend on technology and the influence that comes from that. And so here's the point. Church, that one hour out of 168 is vital. It's so vital, but it's not enough. And the chances are the faith is not going to stick if that's all they get. And here's the truth. The truth is that parents are the most important influencers of the next generation. And so today, as we start this series through the book of 2 Timothy, um, we're going to talk about three primary relationships that we need to focus on building in order to influence and build into the next generation. So if you have your Bibles, you can start turning on over to 2 Timothy. Otherwise, it will be on the screen behind me. And let me just catch you up. Let me just give you a little bit of background. I'll give you more history as we go through the series. Today, we got a lot to talk about, so I just want to dive in. But 2 Timothy 
Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote within about 30 years of Jesus' resurrection. Very early as the church, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead and his early followers, including the, the Apostle Paul, went out, had this powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. They went out and Paul planted churches all over the Mediterranean rim. He poured out his life, teaching and discipling others, risked his life, almost died multiple times. And Timothy, the one he's writing this letter to, is a young leader that Paul poured his life into. He discipled. And this will be the second letter that, that he wrote. And here's how the book of 2 Timothy starts. It says, 2 Timothy 1.1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, God gave me this assignment, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I think this is amazing, the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Life eternally, life in abundance. Want to know and experience real joy in life? It comes from the significance of living for Jesus. This is what Paul's life was all about. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's what you see right from the very beginning, from the first two verses of this little letter, is, is Paul has a great amount of affection for Timothy. In fact, he calls him a spiritual son. Paul has many spiritual sons and daughters. Now, here's something interesting about Paul, important actually. Paul never had kids. He never got married. He, he lived his life as a single for the Lord, and yet he had an incredible, uh, we would argue, probably one of the most influential, if not the most influential um, influencers for Jesus of all time. I, he had spiritual sons and daughters and people that he led to Jesus. In fact, maybe a primary reason why you and I are sitting here today 2,000 years later is the ministry of Paul. That's how significant he was. And this is why this is, I think, so important not to miss this, is because if you're here and you're single, or if you're here and you wanted to get married, but it, it didn't work out, um, or it just hasn't happened yet, you have an incredible, incredibly vital and significant thing that God may be calling you to. And you have an incredible opportunity. Don't miss it in this season. You can be incredibly fulfilled and have an amazing and significant life, just like the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy uh, 1.3. He goes on. He says this, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. He's, he's raised, he was like one of the top Jewish minds. And so he comes from a long tradition of people that followed the one true God, Yahweh. He says, I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So we're talking about kids, uh, grandkids. Um, let me just ask you, parents, this is a little ouch for us. Um, do you pray for your kids as much as you scold them? Somebody want to say ouch or just me? <laughs> Good Paul says, constantly, I'm remembering you in my prayers. That you are in my prayers. Um, one of the, when I think of you, I'm praying for you that God would be at work in your life, that God, that you would experience joy and life in him and you would live out your calling. Recalling your tears. So when Paul had to leave him, man, that was a hard time. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This is a close relationship. This is a mentorship relationship. But it's, it's literally, he's like his spiritual Son, some of you have a person in your life like that who's been so significant, and you understand that, that concept of a spiritual son 
or, or daughter, someone that just poured into your life and perhaps had even more influence than your very own parents in your life. He says this in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Now, here's what you got to know about Timothy. So Paul's going to highlight his family. Timothy is a child of a mixed marriage. So he has a mother who was Jewish. They were called God-fearers. They loved God. Perhaps she was Greek. We think his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. So a mixed marriage. And as far as we know from scripture, Timothy's dad never converted. He never became a follower of the one true God. Um, He certainly never converted converted to Judaism. And we, we put two and two together because later on in Paul's ministry, um, or before this letter is written, but when, when Paul takes Timothy out um, on a missionary journey, there's a little problem. He, he takes him to this city called Jerusalem where they're going to hang out with all the good Jewish boys and girls, and there's a little problem. And that was when Timothy was little, his daddy didn't let him have a little surgery at about eight days And that was a big issue at at this time. And so Timothy had to get a little surgery before he went on this mission trip, which would probably lower the amount of guys signing up for our missions trips, right? (laughs) Commitment right there, right? And so what we put together from this account in scripture is that dad just wasn't in the spiritual picture. Perhaps he was dead. That's a very real possibility. We're not sure. But here's what I want to take from that, and I want you to see, is if you're a single mom or if you're a mom whose who's husband or, or, or your, your child's father is just not in the spiritual picture at all, you could do this. You can do this. You can have an incredible impact on your, your kids. Be encouraged and be faithful in the place that God's called you, and don't give up praying and hoping. Uh, I have an aunt, and... Uh, she got married and, and her husband didn't follow Jesus. I don't know if she was following Jesus at the time. Years and years go by. And, and after they had a, a daughter, my cousin, um, man, my aunt and my cousin, they were just so faithful. They'd go to church every week. They'd pray and pray and pray for my uncle. And about, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, God got a hold of him. And when he did, man, he transformed his life. In the first year he was saved, he used to drive around the country. Uh, he listened to the, uh, the Bible on audio like 70 times. <laughs> In the early years, it was like if he went through one day without telling somebody about Jesus, that was a failed day. God really transformed his life. And never give up hope that the people in your life, even if they're not following God or don't know Jesus right now, never stop praying for him. Because you just don't know what God's going to do in their lives. And I love it that this mom who's, you know, the dad's not in the picture. She disciples and she leads her son to Jesus and also grandparents. Your role in this is significant. Because where'd this start with? Grandma, right? Grandma just meets Jesus. Grandma has a, has a faith, a strong faith. She develops a faith she comes to know Jesus. She gets saved, and then she passes it on, and it's a generational thing, and I love that. And here's what I observe in this very first couple verses, and specifically in verse 5, is, is there's a primary relationship. If, if you want to be effective in passing on faith to the next generation, there's a primary relationship you need to focus on, and the very first one is this, your personal growing relationship with God. 
What did it say? What does Paul say about that sincere faith? It first lived where? In your mother and your grandmother. First lived in grandma and then in your mom and you caught the flames. They, um, you, you know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw your kid and to fan into flame the faith in their heart. You know that, right? What we do as parents, uh, uh, I think it's Matt Chandler uh, that talks about this. We like stack kindling around. It's like a fire. And you are, your job is to put all the right kindling in place so that God can spark that. So that when that flame lights, man, their hearts are lit up for Jesus. That's your job as a parent. And that's what we see in the example. We have um, a kindling in place in mom and in grandma because they're passionate about their faith. They serve God with all their hearts. They have built their growing relationship with Jesus. And here's what all the research points to. Uh, they did a big study. They wrote this, this book about like what makes faith sticky. And what all the research points to is, is that to get faith to stick beyond high school, um, your kid's faith has more to do with your walk with God than any other factor. You are highly influential. In fact, one of the authors of this book, Sticky Faith, says this, how you express and live out your faith may have a greater impact on your son or daughter than anything else. If your relationship with God is low priority, the chances are that your kids will take their cues from you, but they won't just make it low priority. They'll make their relationship with God a non-priority. That's what you see. In fact, there's this great example in, in um, the book of, of Judges. Uh, Joshua, he leads the people into the promised land after Moses. And there's this generation that like experienced God's power and his provision in a, in a powerful way. And at the end of Joshua, he gathers all together in this, this amazing scene. He's like, choose you this day whom you will serve. And the people say, we're going to serve God. Far be it from us. To abandon God. And then Judges has this, and it's so sobering. And if you've ever read Judges, it's a hot mess. I'm telling you, it's a crazy book. <laughs> if you, like, if you're, you're reading something and you're bored, just go read Judges. You're like, whoa. Or if you think your life's dysfunctional, your family, go read Judges. You'll, be, you'll feel better about yourself. Because basically the whole point of the book is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And man, it, it was a hot mess. But here's what happens. Here's how, how that all started. It says this in Judges chapter 2. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the, the demon idol gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And see, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, uh, I can't remember, some of you might remember this if you've been with us. Uh, Jason, our, who was just up here, he, he did a talk and he brought three chairs up. Anybody remember that? Three chairs, these three chairs. Um, nobody remembers it. Maybe I should just save it and do it next week. One, okay. Um, that's a great talk. Three chairs up. And 
they represented this first generation that you see that has a, a, a strong relationship with God, who's, who makes their relationship with God a top priority in their life, who sees God because they walk in faith. They see God work in powerful ways. They love God with all their hearts. And then there's a second generation, and this generation takes it for granted. Oh, they still have all the same values. They could tell, answer all the same Sunday school, you know, stories, and, and they know all the answers, but it's just not that big of a priority. Everything else begins to be a higher priority than relationship with God. Church sort of becomes an afterthought. Oh, well, when we can make it, we make it. And then you have a third generation. And, he, and here's what happens, and you see this in Judges, and I see this over and over again. That when you have this generation who sort of holds to the same value system, they say they know the right things to say, they believe the right stuff, but it's not a priority in their life. You have the third generation, the third chair. And so many times that third chair, that generation just says, well, if it's not a priority, why should it be any priority in me? And they walk away from their faith. They walk away. This is why this is so critical. I want to say it again. If your relationship with God is low priority, the chances are that your kids will make relationship with God a non-priority. This is a sobering thing. It should be. When you make your relationship with God of primary importance, you're setting a pattern for your kids to follow in the future. Because um, have you noticed they, they more do what we do than what we say? They're pretty good at picking up on our cues of what we actually do, aren't they? There's a real weight in this, and I know, and this is a hard topic to talk about because for some of you, um, man, when your kids were young, you weren't serving God at all. It wasn't really on your radar. You weren't serving Jesus. It wasn't a priority for you. And you have some real regrets. And let me just say, there's grace. His mercies are new every morning. You, you accept forgiveness for failure, you get up and you move forward and you trust. Hey, even in spite of that, God, I trust you can move in this situation. You never stop praying. You never stop hoping. So when it comes to, your, when it comes to setting an example of relationship with God, that can be intimidating for some because they don't feel equipped. And let me just say, there's a couple things you need to know. First is you don't need to be a perfect example. You don't need to be a perfect example. You just need to be a real example. You don't have to be perfect with your kids. Like, you just need to love God and pursue him. You don't have to be perfect at it. You don't have to know all the answers. They don't need that. They just need a real example. In fact, one of the best ways to be real is to regularly apologize to your kids. I got to do this <laughs> regularly. Had to do this just a little while ago. Something got broke in my house, and I was, it shouldn't have. Uh, anyway, I'm still a little... Let it go. Let it go. I haven't fixed it yet. Anyway. <laughs> and I had to apologize. Like, I'm sorry. I overreacted. I flew a little off the handle there. I had to apologize to my kids a bunch of times. You're like, really, pastor? Yep. You, you have to, or you've needed to. Here's what it does when we apologize to our kids. Um, it tells them that we need a savior too. See, this is the heart of grace. Grace, the gospel, isn't that you got your act together and you did it all perfectly. No, it's that you're a sinner fallen and you need a savior. And that's grace in a family. If you're modeling grace in your relationship with God, hey, I'm broken too. I, I blow it too. I overreact. I get upset. I, I lose my patience. 
I'm self-centered too. I need a savior. That's the example of a real relationship with God. One that moves towards him, one that receives grace, receives forgiveness. Also, man, it's good to just invite kids into, um, sometimes it, it's, it's hard following God. Sometimes it's a struggle. Now, now be wise, because there's things that you might be struggling with that your kids at the age and stage there, and they have no business being part of. Use wisdom. Don't expect your kids to be more mature than they actually are, right? But I think there's, there's times and examples where you're struggling with something in your, in your walk or your faith or something that God's called you into. Maybe it's, you know, you're struggling to pay the bills in this season, and you, and you just say, kids, this is, this is where we're at. You know, daddy lost his job. Um, this is where we're at. Um, we're going to trust God. I'm, I'm kind of upset about it. I remember um, when we were getting ready to close on this property, I was, I had so much stress. Because, <laughs> you know, you've been to some closings or you've heard of some, they fall through at the last minute. And there are all these last minute things with the contract. And I was so stressed. And the night before, I was really intense. And the kids I don't remember. I probably snapped at him or something. <laughs> and my wife's just like, kids, daddy's just really, really tense because he has to go sign some papers tomorrow. <laughs> and my little daughter, who's six at the time, she, she looks over and she goes, daddy, why are you afraid of signing papers? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Faith of a child, right? <laughs> but the point is you, you include your kids. It's not always easy following God. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, kids, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a hard time having faith in this situation, but I know God's good, and somehow he's going to work this out. I had a friend, uh, some friends in our small group, and it was really cool because they were, they were uh, um, trying to figure out how to take their family on this mission trip, and they knew that that's what they were supposed to do. And uh, the mom kept telling the kids, I don't know if we're going to do it. I don't know if we're going to do it because they didn't know how the money was going to come together. Finally, she just felt like, no, God's calling us to do this. We're going to do this. So she told our kids, yeah, we're going to do it. And, and literally that same day, this funding came through in this amazing way, timing-wise. Do you want to think that like her, including her kids on that whole thing, built their faith a little bit? You better believe it did. So you include your kids. You don't have to be perfect. And apologize. Let them know you need a savior too. So the first relationship you need to build is your personal growing relationship with God. The second one is this, a warm relationship with your kids. See, two things you really, you want to have influence. And if you want to have influence, you better develop warmth in your life. I'm going to grab a scripture from a little later in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love this. It says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from those you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what do we find out from the first chapter? Mom and grandma. And what, you get this beautiful picture of them like, this baby as an infant, like rocking, singing psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. We have this little lullaby, like CDs we had when our kids were, were small and we play it for them. And now when they can't sleep, we like, we'll put on lullabies. And they're like, dad, mom. Uh, but it was great. Like scripture songs, a wonderful thing to actually play and, and just sort of instill scripture in the minds and hearts of your kids. But you get this picture of warmth and the relationship of love, of care. And you know, in ancient times, there was a whole different rhythm of life, and it was much more relational than our rhythm of life. In fact, there's this great um, scripture in Deuteronomy. We try to get this in front of you at least a couple times a year. It says this, 
Hear, O Israel. This is the Shema, one of the most famous uh, Jews. Pray this a couple times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. There's this beautiful picture. And, and see, in a culture where maybe the, the son or the daughter would just, you, you'd grow up and you'd enter a trade and you'd work right alongside your father and the teenagers. It was much more of a relational culture and all these things. It's like, hey, just as you go through the normal rhythm of life, don't miss the opportunities to build warmth in relationship and talk about faith. Talk about faith with your kids. Talk about your walk with God. And man, today our culture goes 100 miles an hour, don't we? I mean, we just have very little space in our lives. We're always going, some of you, I mean, you got so many different directions you're going in sports and things. You're like, I think I could apply and actually get the job as the, you know, COO of Uber because I'm that good (laughs) when it comes to coordinating all this. But you got to pause and really ask yourself, like, in, in the midst of everything we do in this pursuit of creating a great environment for our kids and great opportunities for our kids, are we sacrificing the influence of relationship with them? Do we work as hard to create moments of relationship? Relationship is critical. It doesn't happen by accident. It's so common today, even in the evenings, to like everybody being on their own device or tablet, right? And you have family time, and that looks like everybody's sitting, staring at their own screen instead of actually connecting with each other. Relationship doesn't happen by accident, and yet it is vital if you want to have an ongoing influence in your kid's life. There's a, there's a chart I want to show you. It's called the intersection of influence. And see, when your kids are younger, you know, you have a lot of positional influence. Um, you know what? When your kids are younger, because I said so is a pretty decent answer, okay? Sometimes it's like, kid, because I said so, right? Anybody say that in the last week? You, just me, okay. Positional influence. But here's what happens as your kids start to get a, a little bit older, and especially as they approach seventh and eighth grade, you, you really can't pick them up and put them where you want them anymore, Right? You begin to lose positional influence where you were like, you know, the legislator, the judge, the jury, the whole thing. All of a sudden, it becomes much more about relationship and persuasion. You become more of a coach, don't you? A consultant as you get older. And there's this inner, and here's the point is if you don't begin building relational influence and connecting with the hearts of your kids and have that relational influence as they get older and older, you, you will lose your influence. You will lose your influence with your kids. So how do you develop a warm relationship with your kids? Well, there's a tension because the answer isn't just be your kid's best friend. Some of you grew up with friends like that, and you loved going to their house because that was the fun house, and you got to do all sorts of stuff you didn't get to do at your house. But some of those friends grew up, and you're like, whew, I'm glad my parents weren't like that. And here's the tension. You, I heard this phrase. Um, I don't know who coined it, but I heard this phrase. that said this, be their parent, not their friend, but please be a friendly parent. 
And this, this holds this tension well, because for so many, it's just like, hey, you're just fun, and, and you want to be your kid's best friend. But it, it, there's, there's two errors. One error is harsh parenting, and, and all, all of you have probably seen an example of that. And, and that is a major error. Um, that is a major mistake. As they grow up, what, they're, they're out of there, and they don't want anything to do with you. Oftentimes, you lose influence in relationship, right? The other side, though, when all you are is their friend, at some point, they grow up and they realize, like, why didn't you protect me? And it backfires, and you end up losing your influence as well because you end up losing respect. See, God calls you to be a parent. You have been placed as a parent. You have been commissioned to discipline lovingly, to steer in the right direction, to disciple, to coach. A couple ways you can do that is by developing relationships is by just spending more quality time. Doesn't mean bigger vacations. That's where we go, right? And yeah, if, you, if you're going to do some of those, great, if you can. But don't think if you can't, somehow you're missing out. Because you know the most influential things, the, the moments that your kids um, will, will influence them and impact them the most are the consist, small, consistent deposits of time maybe a game in the evening, maybe a conversation. You know, one of the most effective things is just a meal together, that you would make it a priority. Research has shown, like if you, would, if you just do dinner or whatever, dinner together four nights a week, no technology, the relational capital you build, the impact of that is incredible. Maybe something you want to think about. The other thing is to really work on building life with your kids and not just for them. And this is especially for us guys because so many times we're focused on, you know, the American dream and getting things for our kids and making a good future for our kids that we miss doing life with our kids. Do they have your attention? Or are you too preoccupied and stressed out to give them your attention? Are you maintaining a heart connection? Some of you remember about a year ago, Jason did a talk with a piece of PVC tube. He says, your, your kid is like this you know, their heart, there's like this tube connected to their heart and it's going to connect somewhere. And what you want to do at a young age, especially as they approach those adolescent and teenage years, is make sure their heart is connected with you to have that influence. And then you just pass on faith like Deuteronomy 6 says in the context of relationship. As you go to the soccer field, as you have breakfast, as you do these things, like don't always have noise on. Don't always have distraction. Like how can you turn those moments into moments to connect? So the second relationship is a warm relationship with your kids. The third is this, your kid's relationship with influential adults. And this is a big one. This is one that many families miss out on, but it's so important. See, at some point, Timothy's mom and his grandmother connected him in the, the life of the church community, and they put him in the orbit of Paul. And this relationship, a mentoring relationship happens, and they put him around guys like Paul who could influence him. And so Paul goes on to influence him and write this. And I love this in, in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit of God the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power love and self-discipline he's encouraging him 
He's like, Timothy, you're in some tough times right now. You got some big concerns and stressors, and you're in a culture where you're really worried. It's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. There's an old song I remember. I can't even barely even read it right because I just hear this song in my head. Anybody? No. Apparently, I'm the only one that ever learned the song in youth group. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So anyway, I'll, maybe I'll teach it to you before we finish the series. We'll see. <laughs> but here, here's the theme. Like, here's the point of this is your kids need people who will tell them to fan into flame what God had put in your heart. They need a voice other than just your voice in their life who will encourage them to do that. Who will say, I see something in you. I see gifting. I see leadership. I see service. Man, God has wired you up in this way. Go for it. You can accomplish it. They need a voice other than just yours speaking that into their life. They need an outside voice. Parents, let's be honest, especially if if your kids are approaching teenage years. I got one that's approaching teenage years. Um, Have you noticed your kids don't think you're that smart anymore? I asked the high schoolers in the room last night because they were all up here like, how much do your kids know? I'm like, a little bit. They were, they, were, they were gracious, so. Like, they know a little bit. But it's true, isn't it? But here's the amazing thing. I'm like, you know, you send your kid off to youth group, and, and, and they come home, and they're like, man, Jason said this. And I'm like, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> they have influence. Listen, young adults, high schoolers in the room, like, as you think about serving, maybe in kids' ministry or, or our college age, we would love it if you'd get involved in serving in kids' ministry. Yes, this is a shameless plug. Um, and for those maybe a little older in youth ministry, because our kids actually think you're really cool. Like, I lost the cool factor a little while ago. Our kids think you're really cool. You have the opportunity to speak and influence their life. And maybe you don't feel like, oh, I don't know. You, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just got to be loving God and serving him and have a willingness to invest your life in the next generation. Somebody did it for you, I'm guessing. See, your kids need an outside, and especially um, your kids need outside adults that care enough about them to step into their lives and help them navigate everything they have to deal with today. Let me just say this, parents, because sometimes it, it, you look at your kids and it's like, man, when I was a kid and all this kind of thing, and um, grandparents, you guys do this too, right? Kids these days. If you haven't been a, a middle schooler or a high schooler in the last you know, five to 10 years, um, you really don't have any idea what it means to be a middle schooler or a high schooler today. They're facing pressures that we didn't face when we were kids. Um, social pressures, academic pressures. They, they have an incredible access to technology and connectedness. And I'm just telling you, like, sociological studies are finding this is one of the primary drivers of anxiety and depression, like, mostly text-driven communication. And I know you know this, too, because if, if you've texted, you've freaked out because a friend ghosted you, and you've had anxiety, and you've been like, what do they mean by that? And you're like 45. Hopefully, you have some level of emotional maturity. A, a teenager developmentally has not developed that emotional 
um, responsiveness and maturity, and yet they have all those pressures of primary communication and connectedness and going on social media and seeing the party you weren't invited to the night before and the thing that's happening and you didn't get invited to it. And then there's all these cultural influences that we didn't have to deal with when we were kids. I mean, unless you've had your head under a rock, society is moving in a whole different direction when it comes to faith, when it comes to sexuality, all these things that are so hard to deal with. And so cut your kids a little bit of slack. But in the midst of that, your kids need some outside voices. Your kids need a church that's willing to step in and show up in their lives. Your your kids, let me just say this. I want to say this as gently as possible, but your kids need you to get them to church consistently. You know, the one out of 168, it's not enough, but that part is vital. It's vital. Remember, if your, if your relationship with God is a non-priority, is not a high priority, the chances are your kid's relationship with God will be no priority. Man, I am so thankful as I look back at my life. Uh, I'm so thankful for the adults that showed up in my life. We were doing this clothing swap, which was amazing. Hundreds of people from the community poured in, and you guys were so generous in donating. And uh, I saw my, I think she was like third or fourth grade Sunday school teacher came through. It's so cool to see her. You know what? She has been serving God for all these years. I had my kids in Awana a, a few years ago. My Sunday school teacher was still serving and influencing kids. I remember one of my youth leaders, my first youth leader, uh, Chris Reiser, he was a volunteer intern. Now he's a pastor in Georgia. Um, He took me and my buddies rock climbing, taught us how for the first time. He taught us us the scriptures. Helped us memorize. uh, My youth pastor, Rocky White, made us memorize or helped us memorize this whole book, 2 Timothy, when we were in youth group. I remember uh, Brian Ryan, a school teacher at Fruita, took me and my two best friends and just poured his life into us. Became this amazing iron sharpens iron relationship. We were goofy, weird kids. Which is why I love it when I see some goofy, weird kids in our youth group. I'm like, leader, they'll grow out of this. <laughs> or they won't, but God will still use them. <laughs> Remember Paul Sigrist? A guy named Rick White, who was one of my middle school leaders. Just showed up and served and taught and played guitar. You know what's so amazing about that? Um, His daughter went on to become one of our youth leaders. And just this year, we graduated out his grandson, who loves God and is going to serve God. See, that's the way that faith is passed on through generations. And your kids need some of those influences in your life. Let me just say this. The, The reason... The chances are the reason that many of you are here today is not just because of your parents, but because of some significant adults in your life, right? Many of you can point to one of those relationships. And Paul has built this relationship, and Paul's parents got him around this kind of influential people, and because of that, Paul can encourage him. So he says, don't have a spirit of fear, and he goes on to encourage Timothy, and we're going to close with these two verses. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Paul's writing this from from jail. Rather, join me. How's this for an invite to ministry? Rather, join me 
in suffering for the gospel. Like literally suffering, right? Hey, we're asking you to serve in kids' men. Some of you may view that as suffering. It's not. It's, it's a joy, but not like Paul, right? <laughs> Join me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul frames this all in, hey, you want to know significance in life? Live for the gospel. Yeah, it's going to cost you something, but it's worth it. See, ultimately, our goal as parents should be to raise kids that we know will go on to live and share the gospel, that will know Jesus and they'll share Jesus, that are willing, actually, if, if necessary, to go through hardship for their faith. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, the gospel is what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. And in order to do that, it takes passing on the next generation what you were given. Someone did it for you. Will you do it for another? Would you stand? I want you to focus this week. Just remember these three relationships. How are you doing on these? How are you doing on a growing personal relationship with God? Is that a high priority? Is that a top priority in your life? It's the number one most influential thing you can do. How are you doing with building that warmth relationally with your kids? And how are you doing getting your kids into other influential relationships with other adults that love Jesus and leaders? What if this fall, in the midst of everything, and I know you got like schedules starting and soccer and sports and all these things, and it's just getting ready to ramp up. What if in the midst of all that, you put this at the top, the highest priority? What if you prioritized their eternal relationship with Jesus? i got some homework for you. We have a uh, resources page on our website, and I'm just going to put this up. We're going to leave this up. If you're here and you're a parent or a grandparent, I'd love to have you go take advantage of this resource. There's, there's a great resource. You can either do the code or go to the link. And we'll link you off to this uh, website, which is a partnership with this Family Resource Center um, that we have up here, which is all about helping you navigate your kids' life and helping you navigate marriage and, and uh, maybe singlehood and, and um, empty nesting and all this stuff, right? But here, here is kind of based on age and stage some things that you should be aware of and pouring into your kids, whether they're small, you know, birth to two years or, or they're starting to get older, you know, in their elementary years. Um, they're starting to maybe move towards adolescence. How many of you would like a little help or would have liked a little help with the talk of approaching adolescence? There's some great tools on this, right? Purity, launching them out into this world. And here's the point. It's not enough just to have us speaking into their lives. You need to be intentional about this and having conversations about Jesus and helping navigate and launch your kids to love him. So that's your homework for the week. And as I close in prayer, let me just acknowledge this. Um, the hard part about a message like this is some of you did all this. And your kids still aren't following Jesus. And let me just acknowledge, I know how hard that is. Again, there's grace. Again, everyone has to make their own choice to follow Jesus or not. God's given us free will. You may have done an amazing job 
at raising your kids, and, and, and they went off the rails. We just encourage you to receive the grace God has and, and just the hope that he offers and trust God. Maybe that the flame that you know he planted in their heart as a child is still burning and continue to love them and speak into their life however you can and build that relationship and just trust him that he's going to move. Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to say thank you for my friends here. And Lord, um, I know this is difficult for some. This is inspiring for others. This brings up pain in some. I pray that you would help each one to, to experience your hope, your grace, and to be highly motivated, Lord, that in whatever place they find themselves in right now, would they evaluate where they're at in these areas. Thank you for preserving this text for us for, for 2,000 years, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.